Everybody, it's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is Friday, January twentieth, two thousand and twenty-three, and this is episode number seven hundred forty-seven of the show. And it's good to be here, uh, back for another episode in season thirteen of the podcast. And I've been making an effort to repair. Lots of different little things that have been kind of annoying me with the podcast stuff. There's there been feed issues. There's been app issues. I'm trying to get them all squared away. So I hope that uh, they improve. Like, I don't know where you look. Probably, the, I'm guessing the majority of people listen on Apple Podcasts. And then maybe the second highest group of people would be listening on Spotify is my guess. The podcast is available, of course, in video form, at least broken into segments on YouTube. It's also available on many other apps, including iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon Music. I'm probably leaving off one or two others. Plenty of, you know, of course, on aggregates, etc. So anyway, do let everyone know. You can subscribe on any of those apps. But I mean, I am working. It should be most of them should be all figured out pretty soon. And don't forget that Film Wax will be joining uh, the Radio Free Rhinecliffe Network in a couple of weeks in February, the first weekend. So I will be uh, promoting that network. You'll still be able to hear the podcast the same way. It won't affect anything. But there'll be a, a little some changes in all these years later uh, in terms of uh, some of the formats of the show. Uh, the majority will still be one-on-one or one-on-two interviews, and uh, that's going to be the majority of it. But there will also be other things that I'm going to introduce and maybe some regular other producers from and uh, discussions with other people from the podcast network, as well as inviting people to phone in to and leave messages and responding to calls, or maybe even, hopefully at some point, doing an actual call-in show. Uh, we'll see about how that all works out. But We'll see. It's all starting in February. There's also rebranding going to be happening a little bit. We are changing from Filmwax Radio just to Filmwax because that's how most people describe it anyway. So why not just call the show Filmwax after all? So unless you have a problem, you can reach me at adam at filmwax.com. Let me know what you think. If you're hearing me, uh, just say hello or let me know what you think about some of these ideas. I mean, on one hand, I need to grow the show but keeping the core and the heart of it the same, but to also try different things and open it up a little, I guess is the way of putting it, in order to keep myself interested in doing the show, if that makes sense. After all these years, I still love the discussions I have and the conversations. However, doing the show the same way over and over and over feels a little bit like a grind. It just, uh, just being honest with you. Okay, so episode, today episode number 740 this is seven 747 this is a real treat because to bring on somebody who is responsible for exhibition of so many 
films and also supporting so many independent filmmakers and international filmmakers and documentary. It's just to bring on Greg Lemley onto this podcast is for me a very big deal. I celebrate the Lemley theaters and that their existence and there's a very few companies that are doing something like this. And boy, have they seen hard times. So there's a new documentary out about uh, the Lemley family, who of course goes back all the way to the beginning of the movie industry. In fact, Greg's grandfather, Carl Lemley, founded Universal Studios, is one of the people that created a movie industry. And so there's always been Lemleys as long as there's been movies. Essentially, you know, in fact, Carl Lemley sued Thomas Edison, uh, the patent, uh, I, you'll hear more about it, but it's a fascinating story. So Raphael Sabarge is a filmmaker and an actor, and he made this film not knowing that not only uh, were the Lemleys going to hit hard times because of streaming and, and the way people are seeing movies, the Lemleys have been were hemorrhaging, but then came the pandemic, So, <laughs> uh, which of course, made the period before that look like, you know, a walk in the park. So we're going to bring on Greg Lemley and Raphael Sabarge, who have made this incredible documentary. I think it's, you see as you watch it, how it just keeps pulling you in further and further. That'll be in the first segment. And then the second segment, I posted this as a video on the YouTube page a while ago when the theater first opened. But speaking of exhibition, we're tying it to another exhibition, a new cinema, documentary cinema in particular, which is running in downtown New York City. And so this is a celebration of independent film exhibition, this episode. And Dara Messinger is uh, the is is doing the programming for this new Firehouse Cinema in Chinatown, just south of Canal Street on Lafayette. If you get a chance, you'll want to go to this theater. And even I, I have to admit, have not yet been to the movie, that particular theater, but I'm going to have to spend a bunch of days in New York City and catch up and go to some of the cinemas again. So we're going to bring on Dara, who the, the Firehouse Cinema is in the DC TV Firehouse building. And I'm delighted to bring my, she is a longtime friend of mine. FilmWax has done a number of events back in the past with DCTV, so we've co-sponsored or co-produced some number of events and evenings there, at least, I'm going to guess, close to half a dozen. I'm very thrilled to bring on Dara onto the show. So those are the two segments. She's going to talk about this new cinema, and then we have the first segment coming up right now with Greg Lemley and uh, Raphael Sabarge, and their film, it's called Only in Theaters is opening today at the IFC Center at the New Plaza Cinemas in New York City. It's already been playing in L.A. at the, I suppose, Lemley Theaters, one or two of those. Yes, and Greg and Raphael will be at the IFC Center today. This is uh, a segment I'm actually really am. Well, they're both really exciting to me. I love doing episodes like this. Hopefully you will, too. Here it is. This is Raphael Sabarge and Greg Lemley right here on Filmwax Radio. Welcome to the theater. Is cinema done? Movie theater's dead. What's going to happen to movie theaters? I hadn't heard of the Lemley Theater chain. As soon as my wife and I moved here, it became second nature. I know people will ask, well, who are they? They're the premier art houses in the city. They are number one in that. The theater business for a while just did nothing but make money. The rise of television crippled Hollywood. The other theaters had all closed during the early 50s when television hit. 
I don't know if it'll ever come back the way it was. Of the for the How many movies am I going to go see this year? Probably yeah. two. Some call it the great art of the 20th century. The Lemley theaters have always been a bastion of that great art. Max was the key person in making foreign language films available and accessible. The French New Wave found its home here. They show movies the AMC won't show. If you're from a place where there's no movie theater, the opportunity to see these films in a space like Lemley becomes pretty monumental. Thank you for having us. I mean, I've been doing this podcast called Film Wax for 11, 12 years. Where have you guys been? <laughs> Thank God somebody finally made a documentary about the Lemley family and the Lemley film uh, cinemas. I appreciate it. Where do we start? Um, let me just say, I really, really uh, enjoy the film. And I, you know, I've been a big advocate of, uh, of course, independent film and and cinemas and, and the threat that's been ongoing to cinemas for, you know, I don't know how long now, but maybe going back to the fifties. Uh, but, but um, uh, it's, uh, it was also heartwarming, which I didn't expect that this was actually a highly intensely personal film also as well about a, about a family. I mean, I had no idea. Uh, and so it was really just uh, turned out to be quite a lot going on in the film and so i guess my first question is Raphael, did you intend to make that story when you started off in 2017 when, when did you start i know it was oh it was 2019 before. actually um, oh it was okay so um yeah no i mean the 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 intent initially was uh i found the legacy story very compelling and and this whole idea of there being a lemley in the in the film business mm-hmm. since there's been a film business and and right. yeah also specifically that carl lemley besides founding universal pictures um was also the one who went up against the edison trust you know yes. david and goliath story and because of that we have independent cinema um right so uh, people may not know that, uh, right, that he had mono- he had the monopoly, right, on um, the whole technology. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I mean, you sued by Carl Emley, which is an amazing thing. Who knew Thomas Edison was such a son of a gun? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, Edison also, you know, was just, he, he just wanted to con- the control. He didn't want to give actors any credit or, you know, because right. he didn't give them the power. And, and he had, um, you know, uh, you know, it's all about sort of controlling. It's 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 a monopolization, and which then stifles creativity, right? So, by, by Carl Lemley doing what he did, it, it it really sort of opened the floodgates in a way that is um, truly. Uh, it, it's hard to even fathom how how astounding that is for. I mean, we're here sitting here today because of that. So, um, that that was an interesting fact. Not the least of which, of course, was then the, you know, the immigrant story, you know, escaping the Holocaust, coming to America story. and and then, you know, trying to figure out a way to support their families and then doing something which actually sort of, uh, you know, supports an entire industry. So so there, there is there's there's absolutely something that is um, uh, just that just that kind of the legacy part of it is like. Well, that's fascinating, and I think there's clearly a story here. And uh, what what then threw it into higher gear was then Greg telling me about his dad, who was 85 and going to work each day, and, and then his 103 year old surviving great aunt, who of course was married to one of the founders. So th- their their age, their um, 
you know, my the my personal uh, story of having, uh, you know, parents who died very suddenly. I I before I really knew the story, I jumped in and and wanted to kind of tell something that was um, had them in it. And so we filmed them. And and then from there, once that happened, um, uh, a series of, uh, you know, adventures down a rabbit hole, I guess. I don't know. It was sort of a kind of a, a journey um, about, you know, this this family business. And that's what it became. It was one of those classic tales of, you know, a story about, you know, you start you start a documentary thinking it's one thing and then it tells you what it wants to be. Uh, and, and Greg, uh, you know. Nobody could afford at the time when the film when when Raphael was making this documentary. Uh, yes, the, you were probably under the most pressure you've ever maybe ever been as a, as a human being as a business person, where uh, the business the chain of cinemas was hemorrhaging, uh, largely let's say due to let's say blame it on streaming. Why not? Uh, but <laughs> well, I think there are reasons not to, but <laughs> what? play into their game. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying, uh, did you, uh, I mean, did you have a sense of what you were getting into as the subject of this documentary? And would you have been, like, he? they were inside, you know, your home during intensely personal times, right? I mean, you're under, we could read this on your face uh, where you are really suffering with, well, look, with, I, with I, a lot I, with this weight, what to do with the, do you sell, do you not sell the things? Yeah, uh, I agreed to participate in the documentary about the the history and and you know okay. and, and and bringing the you know what it takes to have a three generation seventy five eighty plus year old business and you know there are there are rough times and the reality is that uh, you know as it turned out um, certainly not as we knew it when we were beginning the process because as it turned out we we had to face some very you know monumental choices in situations. Uh, and, I, and I was just, you know, committed to Raphael and committed to the idea of the film that, uh, that, you know, that needed to be part of the process. Okay. So just, I want to also let people who are obviously listener or watching understand like that you were the, the, the crux, let's say of the film for lack of a better word is this period of time where you're, you and your family are grappling with this, decision about whether to sell the cinemas because they were hemorrhaging, dealing with potential offers. And then I don't want to give away too much more, but we know, I guess we know the outcome. I don't know if it's a spoiler to say what your ultimate decision was. And then once you settled into this idea and could sort of then at least sigh some relief of that, at least the decision was made, you know, and now you can move on, whatever that means. And then within, you know, a couple of months, all of a sudden the lockdown begins, right? So, um, mm-hmm. and then why in the world <laughs> did you allow the camera into your home? Uh, I mean, I'm joking, but it's, it, there's like you, uh, it's just what you were going through as a family and the decisions you made in order to keep things going was really um, personal, you know? So this, it, it went to a new level, I would say, in terms of just what we're witnessing here, you know, as, as viewers. Well, yeah. I mean, look, certainly it was what Lemley Theaters was experiencing, but at least in, in that period, it was what every movie exhibitor, um, large and small, was experiencing, because now we had a challenge, not just to the independence and 
anti-corporate stand of a family business, um, you know, holding up during tough times. Uh, but, you, you know, you now had to confront a, an existential challenge for an industry, um, which was not allowed to operate, certainly not in, in, you know, the major markets of New York and L.A. And, uh, you know, how that impacted exhibitors across the country and, um, you know, getting us to that point of, of reopening now. And, uh, you know, what are the challenges and opportunities that, that lie ahead, I guess. Please continue. Yeah. What, what does it mean? I, you know, I mean, everyone talking about the growth of, I mean, you know, the streaming's winning over theatrical. It wasn't even a fight. I mean, you have to, you have to be in the ring <laughs> to have a That's chance right. to throw a punch. And, and we were just completely absent during that 13 month period. Right. Uh, and, uh, the it's always about I, I get very frustrated with 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 how we always have to sort of rationalize why movie theaters are important and and that they're most other countries around, you know, that have cinemas, especially in the West, um, are usually su- subsidized. The arts are subsidized heavily, whereas here that's not the case. So, uh, I mean, there was obviously some some money, some uh money coming in right during the i assume you you during that period uh, during the lockdown that you applied for whatever help right government financial help we applied but you know the ppp program was basically designed to provide payroll for companies that were operational so when you're closed yeah (laughs) it really doesn't do a lot and and it certainly doesn't do a lot for your rent and your utilities and, and all these other continuing expenses now, in December of 2020, um, which, you know, is nine, 10 months into the, the closure, the government did pass the Shuttered Venue Operator Grant Program, um, which eventually started providing funding by June of 21. Mm-hmm. So we're well past a year after closure. But, you know, that program did end up being, you know, and this is after the the completion of the story of the film, uh, you know, uh, yeah. you know, but that program did provide funding for Lemley theaters, for other movie theaters, small movie theaters around the country for live music venues and, yeah. and performing yeah. arts centers. So, uh, you know, it has provided an opportunity uh, for those businesses to return. Um, <clears throat> the name of the documentary is called only in theaters. It's directed by Raphael Sparge. Did I pronounce it right? Good, thank you. Uh, Raphael, you also uh, include, other than just the Lemley family, which is like four generations, we should mention Greg's grown three sons are, are also interviewed in the film, as well as the aunt and uh, Bob Lemley, your dad, right? Um, Greg. Uh, so, uh, but there are also, you know, people that have an invested interest in uh, cinemas, uh, especially the Lemley cinemas existing, like filmmakers and, and actors. And so what went into the decisions there was that how did you select which which folks you were going to bring in to talk and to um, advocate for for the cinema? Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. I mean, I, this, uh-huh. is, this is a film that really speaks, obviously, about the state of exhibition and cinemas and what's at stake. And it, and it gives us this sense of kind of a... Uh, uh, it brings an immediacy to what's really kind of on the uh, on the on the chopping block potentially. I mean, uh, you know, here we are. It's you know, some people 
ask about, you know, well, here we are in New York and why should we care? We've never heard about Lemley Theater. What, you know, who, you know, what's Lemley to me? And and I say, as a New Yorker who grew up here, well, let me introduce you to the uh, long gone Thalia and New Yorker and uh, the A Street. And by the way, um, uh, uh, Lincoln Plaza, which uh, is sitting there empty, empty for five years. And oh, did you just hear that Sinopolis two weeks ago is closing? Right. Um, so here we are essentially in this sort of um uh whether we like it or not as new yorkers who <laughs> like to you know feel like it's all of course you know um really about what's in our neighborhood this is a theater that's representative of what's going on in that conversation that that's just that's just straight up what this is speaking to but beyond that um this is a family business and to me um, as I start to navigate through this with all the people that we spoke to, the Ava DuVernay's and the Leonard Maltons and the you know Cameron Crowe's and, and all the filmmakers who came out and said that these theaters or theaters like them, James Ivory, you know, uh, inspired them to be filmmakers, that these were the kind of the spark that kind of really opened the door for them to consider being, you know, dedicating their lives to that. Beyond that, uh, it, it it is really, it's, it is primarily a, a movie about a family and a family's struggles to continue to sort of continue to, you know, carry forward their mission. I mean, and we make allusions in the film to, you know, bookstores and, and family farms. Um, and, and the question, of course, is, you know, in those cases, in those, you know, four and five generation cases where, you know, farmers are forced, you know, to, to really navigate these agonizing choices of how do they survive? How do they fight against these big corporate entities, et cetera? The, the, the hope was in this case, by focusing on the family is that we would then be able to tell a story that sort of really didn't just speak to cinephiles or people who knew, you know, who Mark Berman is or, or, you know, Truffaut or, you know, any of these folks that came to lunch at their house, but, mm -hmm. but in this case uh, also um, maybe, uh, maybe resonate with their businesses. And, and, and I, I, I mean, on the journey that we've had in this case, which is now we've played a lot of festivals um, nationally and then internationally, Places that did not know about Lemley theaters again um, were really taken by the family, and so so for me the family was always the way in to kind of try and uh, beyond the headlines like you know uh, you know such and such a theater is is you know uh, filing chapter eleven or such and such a theater is is um, you know going out of business. Um, or the local neighborhood theater that you've always seen just suddenly one day goes black. Um, uh, probably because they want to put condos there. Um, you know, what, what the heck, um, what act does that mean? And what is that cost on that? And what, what is it personally? What, what is the, where does that, where does that get sort of ingested into a family that cares so deeply and, and, and whose sole mission has been about supporting artists? And the art of filmmaking and the audiences who love them. I mean, that's that's really what they care about. Like, you know, come have this wonderful experience in this, you know, beautiful environment with soft, wonderful seats, amazing sound and a beautiful picture and 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 be able to be transformed through the medium into that place that that film does. Right. Where it takes us uh, uh, out of our world and into another one and and is sort of a kind of a mental vacation from all the noise in our head and how, and how, how powerful that is and how, uh, how remarkable this art form is in a theater, 
um uh you know yeah streaming but but it's it's not a streaming conversation it really is about a a conversation about the art form and and how important it is to to preserve that right the relationship between the art form and congregation uh, uh because there are so few opportunities to congregate especially well in big cities and and elsewhere you know so i so we have I know memberships at churches and temples shrinking and, you know, where do people uh, congregate? Because that is an essential aspect to human nature, it turns out. And, and here we are at a point yeah, you know, where, you know, we obviously we've had spikes in, in depression, anxiety, um, you know, chronic loneliness. Because of isolation. Isolation. Yeah. And we are social beings. <laughs> that, Like, you know, God, I mean, you know, what the pandemic did, what the pandemic ultimately teach us is that, gosh, you know what we really need to be doing is staying at home and getting more quality time in, on our couch with our, you know, breaking <laughs> yeah. the iPad, watching movies like like, yeah, that's what I'm committed to. More of that quality time. Gosh, get out of your damn house. Go actually be in the world. Go connect with people. And, and I have friends who. um wonderful remarkable brilliant people who are still honestly uh traumatized and and are not going out um are locked at home like they can't they they are they are they're stuck there and and um uh you know i i i pray for them uh and their journey out but but we you know um those of us who don't have that that a specific affliction um the, you know the reminder of what what it's like to be in a room you know where you, the room and the emotion of the room amplifies the experience that that's that that's really that's the the, the brilliant you know the the design the the you know the beauty part you know is is the actual experience with a bunch of people in the dark and and, and then the emotional journey that you take um i thought a lot greg when you know i was watching the movie a lot of the, I, I kind of anticipated somebody who thinks about the, the subject matter here a lot. So, but I, one thing I had never considered and didn't, and it was so um, presented so vividly in the, in, in the documentary, which again is called only in theaters uh, is this um, burden. It's not a burden. It's the wrong word. The weight though of, of, you, you know, you guys uh, and that you have this relationship with the city of Los Angeles and you provide this incredible service. Is that the right word? Service or, uh, again, opportunity to congregate, to see, to, to enjoy the arts together. And what the idea of selling that off, you know, that, that what you were grappling with and I really intensely could, could, uh, empathize with what you were going through at that moment. I could see it. I had not considered that before, just what the amount of pressure that you felt you were right. You felt, and you were going through. Can you speak a little bit about it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, cause you don't uh, seem to have any facial tics and that's good. <laughs> that's a result. It, you know, in, 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 in Judaism, there's two ways of referring to an inheritance. One is a Yerusha and that's kind of the traditional inheritance that you have, you know, which is, it's all good. And now you've, you know, you've, you've been passed on, this, this gift from a prior generation, but there's also this, this idea of morasha, which is a, you know, a gift with obligation. So yeah, burden is not quite the, the right word no. because, you know, burden implies just that there's, that it's only work 
Um, weight you're dragging around, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but you know, there's this. We've been given something, and it's really beautiful. But yes, it it you know it also comes with you know a promise, so to speak, that you're going to keep something and preserve something. And you know what we were gifted, or what I was gifted, was this idea that yeah, we get to operate. We we get to you know bring art house movies to the city of the city of movie making. Um, and that's an, you know, an, an incredible responsibility. And it, it was definitely a challenge to think that, that we could no longer do that. And in no longer doing that, uh, for whatever reason that we, you know, that who would, who, who would we hand that off to who, and who would, who would do it in the same way that we did it and with the same care and concern, and, and, you know, and would that be better for the city of Los Angeles in the long run, you know, to, to be part of some larger entity that, you know, what opportunities were there um, and, and where would there be something that was missing, I guess, is really what it came down to. And, and that was absolutely part of a, a conversation because it was never just about making the most money. Um, really. Well, well, all I can say is thank you for participating and being so open and a, a present in the, in, in Raphael's film. And thank you and your family uh, from me for the history of uh, what you guys have, have done for the city of Los Angeles and for independent cinema. You know, it's made, it's contributed to my life in a very, uh, very, very essential way. And so, you know, I owe, a lot of that gratitude towards people like yourself who have committed their lives to that particular opportunity where you, you were talking about. Um, yeah, that, 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 that experience as a, as a, as an audience member. And then, and then, and that experience, of course, as a filmmaker, as an independent filmmaker, I mean, again, a theater that focuses on, you know, films without superheroes, not, not that they're, you know, bad movies, or some yeah. wonderful movies, but it's just, it's just an opportunity to be able to have another, uh, uh, you know, uh, something else uh, presented as an alternative to w- what is more commercial fare. Um, it, it's it's so valuable for us. I think it enriches enriches our life. I, I believe that you know Lumley Theaters as well as the other ones. You know the uh, you know we were at the IFC last night. We opened and another wonderful theater that does this and and um, y- you know the film form. There, there are so many wonderful theaters in in New York that hold this. And New Yorkers, you know. Their movies are very important to them, and and we we recognize it. But as a filmmaker, it's everything. It's literally everything, and and it's why you know I, I uh, came kicking and screaming into putting myself in the movie. Um, I, I I have a have a kind of a I come in as a as an element to sort of represent filmmakers who've been affected by these theaters, and and it is a way to tell the story. It's a way to kind of give context. Um, you, you know, I, and, and there's just a, there's a, there's a thousand examples, uh, of, from friends who've spoken to me about it. Uh, people have won, you know, Oscars because they've, they've qualified at, at alumni theater or, or people who've, you know, really owe their whole career to alumni theater. Um, on and on and on. It, it's, it's, a as an independent voice, if you're not in a studio and you can't get to a studio unless you've been an independent voice, um, it, this is the stepping stone. This is literally how it happens, right. and, and, and these yeah. these are these are these are sacred spaces for the audience, for the art form, and for the filmmaker. And that, that's what's so that's hopefully the point that we're trying to sort of speak to. And uh, again, you know, 
your local neighborhood theater is is so much more than just a you know a place to eat popcorn. It it it, it actually is. It has so much more context and and so much more depth and meaning and and so much more contribution that it brings. And and again, that's not what I started with. I started with this. Look at this swell, lovely yeah. historical you know kind of uh, context that that sets us, you know. Um, sets this family in, in sort of a remarkable, as I reference, sort of theater royalty family uh, as a way of understanding the history of cinema. But this is uh, ultimately the film became, hope, you know, a reminder of what what's at stake, why it matters, and why attention must be paid. Uh, to, attention must be paid. You know, in the words of Arthur Miller. Yeah. Right. Um it's already had a run in LA. I'm winding it down. Uh, it's uh, uh, right. Uh, did you find any theaters to play it in? Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you, Greg, for getting my joke. Had to go. Yeah, we've, we've had a nice run in Los Angeles, um, including two screenings just this past weekend that I was able to appear at, and uh, we're opening uh, now in New York and, and uh, uh, starting to roll out around around the country. And we're going to find. I mean, there. are there are people operating like Lemley theaters in, in, you know, large and small communities across, across the country. Yeah, I'm up here in the Hudson Valley and I, they're beautiful. Um, and I'm just hope and pray they stay uh, open. Op- uh, only a theaters is opening in New York on, uh, well, this uh, tomorrow, Friday, as we speak at the IFC center, as you alluded to Raphael at, at new Plaza cinemas, and then hopefully wider, but it'll eventually be available on that uh, streaming thing we, we were mentioning before. But <laughs> so more people can see it and hopefully get inspired. But thank you, Raphael, for making this what I think is a really important film. And uh, again, Greg, thank you and making the time today to uh, do this show. Appreciate it very much. Yeah. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. We've been feeling the pressure of the streaming systems. A Southern California theater chain may be up for sale. I would be devastated if they sold it, I have to be honest. Where am I going to go to see these types of movies? Let's remember that the movie theater is kind of a sacred experience for all. If the film theaters disappear, the entire ecosystem is undermined. How much sacrifice is required, you know, in, in pursuit of the thing that you love? International public health emergency. Movie theaters will be closed to the public. You feel silly and stupid worrying about things like getting movie theaters open when everything else that's going on in our country is going on. Oh my goodness. Will enough people want to go to theaters to make the theatrical business still viable? TV, home video, cable, DVD, 4K. Having the same conversation for 125 years. Take everyone you know into a theater, shoulder to shoulder. The experience of a movie in a theater. That's when the heavens open. We're always going to want, in some level, that experience of, of sitting in that movie theater. I'm going to believe that people are going to come back to that. All right. Well, as I mentioned, Dara is a longtime friend of mine. I met her years, at least 10 years ago at DCTV. I used to go there all the time and go to events that they would host. And then I ended up, FilmWax ended up doing some events with them, which was always a real pleasure because they were just such a pleasure. John Alpert, who is a founder of DCTV, has been on this podcast. I will, I just have a very long history with them. They're wonderful people. They're wonderful. They're providing a wonderful organization there. And now, if that weren't enough, they finally opened the Firehouse Cinema, a center for documentary film 
It's a nonprofit independent cinema where filmmakers and film lovers can come together in appreciation of and with a curiosity for nonfiction film. Visit them at dctvny.org and you can click on the page for the Firehouse Cinema and find out what's coming up at the cinema. This is a conversation I had with my friend Dara a number of weeks back and happy to finally get it onto this, the audio podcast, just for you, my listeners. Here it is, Dara Messinger, again, on Film Wax Radio. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a minute, Adam. I know. It's terrible. Finally. <laughs> And I saw someone close, uh, someone in your inner circle this weekend too. I heard. Oh yeah, that's nice. It is very nice. Yeah, it was a nice face to run it. I mean, I saw that he that he was on the, uh, you know, program, but I wasn't sure if I would. Who I, you never know. I was so busy at the festival, I had no idea who I would run into or not. You know. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I'm exhausted. I mean, <laughs> just it's just. I don't know how I made it all work, but I did. And I, I fortunately was, I made every Q and A and every intro and every film I'm supposed to. It was just, um, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was good. That's great. Yeah. I had a good time. I did have a good time actually. Cause I, there were a couple of films there that I didn't even realize who would be showing up and I, you know, they get a lot of, you know, people show up for that festival because I think of just, you know, their location and the history of that, name of Woodstock and all the other, you know, yep. and her, her working those connections, the uh, mayor and working the, the, the connections for so long. So people show up. So you, you have a screening, you typically get some people you don't, you don't expect to see in a generally in a, uh, you know, in a more, I don't know, uh, non, non-urban festival. Right. Right. Cause you have well, to try to, you know, it's a, it's a trip there. Right. So yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, I, I would have been there um, if we hadn't just opened and had really exciting stuff um, in the city. So, but I know it's amazing that, you know, any festival that's been around for so long and has good people, honors good people. It was nice to see Deborah Granick honored. I will warn you that my allergies are really bad right now. So I'm trying. Mm, Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Flush out any mucus beforehand. <laughs> we appreciate that, but this is a show that we're, you know, anything goes sort of with the, yeah. as far as body, body functions, uh, it's fine. Don't worry about <laughs> it. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, well, I remember being at, we could sort of start officially here. Hi, Dara. <laughs> oh, my old friend. Um, uh, I remember being at, a what do they call it? I guess a um official launch of you know groundbreaking. What do they call it? There was one of those, yeah. I think I remember it. like good five years ago, right? With John was Opert, and then they brought in Michael Moore was there and Morgan Spurlock was there and some city officials were there. I mean, right? Um, who was there? Yeah. I was to, uh I'm guessing the borough president. Yeah. 
So this is, you know, so people always say, I can't believe it took five, 10 years to make your documentary. Well, as it turns out, it can take equally easily that much time just to open a documentary cinema as well. Uh, It really can. We, you know, are so lucky to have the supporters that we do. Um, You know, we're in a landmark building, so in a beautiful Gothic firehouse. Um, so, you know, there's extra steps to kind of go through with that. Right. That makes sense. We were so grateful to have both city and state funding and, you know, we're also just a multifaceted organization. So as plans for the cinema, you know, as the seeds are being planted and things are beginning to grow, everything else is still happening. And so it kind of, yeah, it takes a long time. And mm. it was in many ways before my, t- I mean, in many ways, it was before my time in terms of some of those seeds being planted. Uh, mm. You know, when I got to DCTV, I had heard about little like rumors and, and things happening, but it really um, cemented after um, after 9-11 when there was funding going to support um, organizations in lower Manhattan. Um, and it was like, right. DC TV is maybe two blocks or three blocks South of, of uh, canal street. Yeah. So um, it's been a long time and we honestly couldn't be happier. It's a little, it's surreal. Um, and it's magnificent. Yeah. Uh, well, Okay, so how long have you been at DCTV? I got to DCTV, I think it was right after Labor Day in fall of 2005. Um, I got a call that I was accepted as an intern when I didn't have any reception and it was Labor Day and I was like at the beach. (laughs) And I remember being like, what? I I think I got an internship. You know, so I was nearly fresh out of college, you know, having some day jobs here and there, trying to figure out what next steps I wanted to take, thinking about organizations I respected and admired. Um, I was kind of self-taught in documentary uh, in college, taking kind of more uh, arts and culture classes and um, cultural theory. And then... I was like, I think I want to keep up this documentary thing and looked into some different organizations and applied to a bunch and DCTV got back to me. And for some reason, for many reasons, I've been there ever since. Um, it's an unusual thing for somebody. I mean, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm not, we don't need to do that. In a, no, I don't need to verbalize your age and all that, but it seems like, uh, and I must have met you pretty soon after that, I'm guessing, because... I mean, I feel like I've known you more longer than 2005, but maybe not. I mean, you know, I, it's, know. I, I come from a family who had um, a small business that was my grandparents. Um, the like mom and pop ethos, I think, is very much in me. 
And I came to DCTV and, you know, in many ways, that's how John and Keiko run the organization. It's also a lot more professional than that. Um, and minus, you know, the nepotism and other things that sometimes happen when it's part of the family. And they've managed to keep, you know, just a thriving place that is both welcoming and yet it's never insular yet it's so homey and warm and people feel it. And it's this sense of community that I think sometimes people throw that word around and the work that they've done and all the people involved at DCTV have created that sense of community and kind of one thing led to another. And I just became very involved. I worked in all different departments um, and sections of the organization throughout but the last, I guess, 10 years I've been programming. So we had a screening, you know, we would have screenings and events kind of sprinkled in when other things weren't happening in the building. So it's like, oh, well, this space is free and this person wants to screen their film. And then it became a lot more formalized into our DCTV Presents screening and event series, which was kind of fresh off the festival circuit documentary films and you know but everything was just like a one-time screening followed by a Q&A being in New York if people live in New York City amazing and if they don't they might be passing through and we can schedule it to happen and it kind of progressed from there so it's really kind of taking all of the work that has been done. And now just having this dedicated spot, I make jokes, but it's like, we used to have folding chairs and we would adapt wherever space. If people have been to DCTV, it's a very large building and we would have screenings upstairs and we would have screenings downstairs. And before my time, people would set up folding chairs outside of a mail truck that John and Keiko would screen films from. So, and now it's evolved into like these really comfortable thick seats and it has really good sound and <laughs> documentary filmmakers aren't used to that. And it, what a thrill um, to be able that, right. to have that. So now is this the only cinema in your, in Manhattan anyway, dedicated to documentaries? Um, I think when the idea started. Because the measles center. Exactly. I think when the idea started, that was maybe the case, but that is no longer the case. And we have so many friends in the community that have been doing this work. I mean, Maisel's, you know, in Harlem is a documentary right. center and cinema. Um, and there's other, you know, more micro cinemas um, like Union Docs in Brooklyn. I mean, there's so many places and not to mention just so many theaters that screen things besides documentary, but you know, we're a new kid on the block um, in terms of the cinema business, even though we're old kids when it comes to the organization itself. But yeah, we're one of the few spaces in the world that is a cinema that's an exhibition space for nonfiction. Because, mm. mm. uh, yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned all the sort of uh, pop-up spaces for showing screenings with inside of DCTV Firehouse. So it's interesting. I think I, I might've even hosted a couple over the years, but um, 
that this space is is now in where where was downstairs, obviously street level, and you enter now from the from the side street. Is that the is that what I what I've heard? There's a marquee and everything. Yeah, it's a beautiful marquee with like an LED ticker. Um, yeah, it's right on on White Street. Um, mm-hmm. So you basically land at 87 Lafayette, and then just turn the corner, and you see a nice marquee, and um, it is uh, where the horse stables of the firehouse were. And so this was kind of dead space. We were so lucky that we had this entire huge building, and then were able to receive funds to to do something with it. Um, they had to dig really deep to make a good rake um, for site levels at the cinema. Wow. And, um, right. We refurbished the wood from the horse stables. So that is in the lobby. Um, it's pretty incredible that John did that. So we refurbished all this wood that was originally from the horse stables and then um, famed uh, cinematographer Hart Perry donated a bunch of these beautiful live wood slabs that adorn the side of the theater and they kind of hover over these ever-changing led lights and it's kind of this this mix of old and, and new that right really um speaks to dc tv I, I, yeah state of the art uh like sound and 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 a great projection system i assume and uh everything so yeah so and then what was your so the first film is that currently happening now so the first film actually just ended uh, oh just ended on friday abigail disney and kathleen hughes the american dream and other fairy tales yeah they were here they were on this thing they were yeah so that opened us up we had a long run of that how'd that go how'd it go it went great. It was really, um, it was really wonderful to kind of, you know, see a film that is just speaking to so many things that uh, are really important um, to talk about. And um, the timing was just perfect when they wanted to get their film in the world and when we were uh, opening. And so, and how many? How many did did you? Do you have a, what's the schedule of screenings? So that was an Academy qualifying run. So those rules, you know, there are a lot of rules when it comes to uh, Oscar qualifying. So um, for, for week long runs that are those films, it, it screens three times a day. Um, and so uh, Abigail and Kathleen were there for a lot of um opening weekend Q and A's and then the film continued to screen and it was really nice just to, to host, you know, be able just to have our doors open every day. Um, now we are screening Reed Davenport's I didn't see you there, um, which is an absolute gem of a film. And I couldn't be happier to be screening it. And um this weekend, Kimberly Reed came to moderate a Q&A with Reed and editor Todd Chandler. Yancy Ford, I haven't seen forever, also moderated. Um, Free Hazaman. And there's going to be one more Q&A this week. Um, it's, it's a really exciting moment. And then 
to also still have our one-off, you know, special events, just like mm-hmm. we used to. Um, so we're going to have kind of an ongoing series that celebrates short docs. I feel like a lot of times short films don't get enough love and attention, especially on a big screen. Um, so we're going to be highlighting the work of various film collectives and groups. Um, oh, I did see that. Meerkat is uh, first, coincidentally. Yeah. And then Brooklyn Filmmakers Collective, uh, working with Vimeo. Um, Field Division is going to be doing one. So there's a lot of great things. And there's just so many things that, you know, this was like literally just the tip of the iceberg to get started. And now mm-hmm. to get all the great ideas well congratulations it looks great i you know um look forward i can't wait to come down and check out check it out and see yeah, it'll come on over i will where, where are you right now i'm 100 miles away <laughs> so it's it's a little less spontaneous yeah, I um yeah but i'll well, be down there you're gonna be here for a while so i hear great. that i i imagine so it's I, really I, rewarding um yeah, so we're right. not going anywhere and and you come when you're ready. Well, it, the being ready is not the issue. It's 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 being you know just getting down there. I'm working a lot up here, but 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 I will totally act. I will totally make the trip down there, and I will let you know when I'm coming, so we can say hello and catch up. That'd be nice. And so people can go to um, hold on one sec here as I do this. DCTV.org/slash DCTVNY NY. Excuse me. Don't correct me on my show, please. Oh, I'm DCT- sorry. I have no idea of the issues we have with our, with our names sometimes. <laughs> DC, <laughs> DCTVNY.org. Mm-hmm. And then is it, can they just do slash Firehouse Cinema or do they have to? You, you can just kind of navigate from there. and find Yeah, it's pretty, find. right now it's pretty easy because it's um, obviously, as it is new, they're trying to make it as visible and easy to find as possible till it becomes so popular that if anything, you have to try to, you know, take measures to prevent people from coming down. That's a horrible problem to have, <laughs> but there'll be lines around the block before you know it, it's going to get so popular, but there's just, it's a, of course that people come on to this podcast all the time and call and say, we're in the golden age of the documentary. It's one long age. That's for sure. Sort of like my middle age years. It's just going to go on until I pass out, you know, um, <laughs> just going to, so, but it's good. Yeah. There's so much, and there's so much incredible content out there. So you guys should, are going to, it's going to be a problem of, 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 of turning down stuff, I think, or, you know, that's, that's got to be the hardest part. And are you saying that you are program, you're making the final call on this? I'm director of programming. That's yeah. fantastic. Director of programming. Yeah. It's really, it's great. Um, it's, it's thrilling. And yeah, the hardest part of my job is saying no, for sure. Yeah. Well, don't say it. Say it. Have somebody else say it. I, I, we do. The associate director. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. So what's coming up next? You said um, uh, well, I start... am not there. Wait, what's the name of it? I know it's about an, uh, a, uh, right. It's about um, um, a, uh, a filmmaker who is, is he in a wheelchair or is he, what's his circumstances? Um, yes. Uh, he, you know, is filming everything through his perspective. You never see his face. It's kind mm-hmm. of the world through his eyes. Um, whether POV. Or in a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just kind of exploring um, everything through his perspective. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, please. uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but if it gets out. As soon as possible. Yeah. um, That'll be screening through Thursday. And then, um, and then, yeah, we're really excited to have kick off this better together uh, short documentary uh, program. It'll be an ongoing series. Um, and so Meerkat Media, Brooklyn Filmmakers Collective, Vimeo, um, we're going to have a showcase of Sky Hapinka's films and going to keep going. So we're really excited about that coming up. And then um, our third uh, feature a uh, week-long run is going to be Nina Mankus's Brainwashed. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff. We also unveiled a new membership program. You know, it's not, I think what makes everything so momentous right now is not only did we open up the cinema, but we were closed physically during the pandemic. And we tried to move as much as we could into a virtual space in terms of having a virtual cinema and screening room and having virtual educational programs for our youth and continuing ed but now you know the uh the youth media programs started coming back over the summer which was really exciting and we're starting to have our in-person workshops again for adults um so this was just a moment we were also opening our doors and now we have a new membership program so that's really exciting and with membership which is a great way to support the organization um also gives you 50% off of film tickets, not to mention so, so much else. So all good again, things. people can, I guess, go to dctvny.org and check all this out. That's great. Thank you. Thanks, well, thanks for coming on. It was great to see you again after all these months. It's really and... nice to see you. Thank you. And I will come down because uh, I, you know, I have many reasons why I would need to anyway. So great. Great seeing you. Really nice seeing you, Adam. Thank okay, you so I hope much. your allergies. What's that? <laughs> I said, really nice seeing you. Thank you. May, may your allergy may you not suffer too much. Put that out there. Not suffering the least of the least okay. of our worries. Thank you. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. I'll uh, speak to you soon. Okay. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening, y'all. This is Adam, your host of FilmWax Radio. Please don't forget to like us on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter and on YouTube. Follow us on YouTube. There's a lot of great content on YouTube that doesn't even make it onto the audio podcast, for Pete's sake. And check out Radio Free Rhinecliffe. Uh, just Google them. That's very easy. I think it's just RadioFreeRhinecliffe.org. Uh, we'll be up there in a couple of weeks. And you should check out their other shows. It's very exciting for me to to be joining these great people up in the Hudson Valley, creating really great content, as good as you'll get in, in any other major cities. Uh, and so cause there's so many incredible, talented, artistic people up here in the Hudson Valley. All right. And also consider joining, subscribing to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Radio. Please consider doing that. All right. This is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio, giving you a big hug. Signing off, take care of yourself and the ones you love.